Okay, Damien already prayed for our time here, so we're just going to jump right in. Just kind of quickly go over what we're going to be uh, talking about today. We're going to start off with a short devotion. We're going to talk about two forms of uh, preparation, kind of different kinds of classes and how you might prepare for them. Uh, the first one is to teach uh, a specific text of Scripture. And the other one is if you're teaching a topic. So like this upcoming class that we're doing uh, on regeneration, we're working through a little book. Uh, in fact, I should grab that, but we're working through a little book. It's going to be a little bit more topical. Uh, then you go over actually teaching what you've prepared, and then uh, some observation forms uh, that some of you are already familiar with uh, that we use just to kind of help uh, hone our skills and improve. So with that, I do want to just start with a short devotion that will kind of tee up tee up our uh, our time this morning from uh, 1 Corinthians 2. I'm just going to read the chapter and then we'll talk just very briefly about it. But Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do, not, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, in, uh, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The first thing I, I want to draw out of this passage is just as teachers, whether that's uh, simply maybe teaching our family at home, in a devotional with your wife, your wife and kids, or teaching a Sunday school class, whatever that, whatever it might look like, the 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 standard that the Bible has for teaching the Word of God is very different than the standard that the world has. Uh, if you're going to go into a school or a university of some sort, probably looking for a certain amount of polish on your on your teaching skills. They want to make sure you can communicate well. And it is good to communicate well. But if we, if we see what Paul was facing in the Corinthian church and how he speaks about his ministry there, it's kind of the opposite of what we would expect. 
the, the uh, Corinth church was being inundated with what I think in, uh, in the uh, epistles to the Corinthians kind of talk about these super apostles. And they would come in to Corinth and they ridicule Paul because Paul's weak, Paul's frail. He, he doesn't speak like the, great, the philosophers that they're used to coming in who, who are great orders, who could draw crowds and earn their wages by, t- by, by putting on their wonderful speeches. Paul goes into that culture realizing that so much weight is put on uh, just great, um, great speech that he kind of come, he comes in with the opposite approach, because he says that the the um, in, in chapter one he says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. He says it is the word, and as we see in Psalm chapter two, only what the Spirit can apply through the word that has power. It's not in our persuasive speech. So he says in, in chapter two, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and, and of power. You know, we're kind of starting off a pastoral search uh, committee right now and kind of go, looking for our next senior pastor and a, a book I'm reading through right now uh, on preaching, and it's kind of springboarding off of 1 Corinthians, I think the author makes this point. You would never put that as, hey, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for someone who's weak and fearful and going to kind of come with much trembling. We, we wouldn't do that. In fact, I think what kind of more of a weak, uh, what, what I've seen being put out in, in, by a lot of churches is rather than kind of looking at these things, they're more like, hey, we, we want someone who's dynamic, who's charismatic. And they're looking for someone who can rap, kind of rally the congregation and, and grow the congregation through their fantastic speech and all that. A lot of times that's just focusing on the wrong thing. So my encouragement, first off from this passage, is a lot of us probably don't feel like we um, are good teachers or that we can get up in front of people and teach. I never thought I would be in front of people teaching, ever. I horrible, horrible stage fright. Could, I could not, I did not ever want to do it. My dad was a pastor. I will never be a pastor. And you know, the, Lord, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Um, and it's still very, you know, very often, uh, even on Sunday mornings, whether it's a Sunday school class or preaching, there's much fear and trepidation that I have. Uh, lately, that's more of the weight of just the word that I'm charged with proclaiming uh, rather than um, rather than kind of fear of man. But the, the encouragement is, it is the word of the cross that is the power of God for salvation. And he works through his Holy Spirit. So even if we are not the most skilled, we think we're not the most skilled people in teaching something, it doesn't mean you can't be useful. When we think of the qualifications for elders, 
the one that kind of differentiates elders from deacons is able to teach. And able to teach isn't a whole lot of information. Able to teach. A lot of what I kind of gather from able to teach based on especially Paul's letters uh, to Timothy and to Titus is someone who can accurately teach. Someone who can teach the pure doctrine of Christ. They can accurately handle the word of God. Um, So just an encouragement, first of all, is uh, God oftentimes uses our weakness. In fact, I think that's kind of the whole thrust of Paul's letter to the Corinthians here is, hey, our gospel message is about uh, the Son of God dying on a cross, which which is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. You can't get any weaker in their mind than that. So who do we think we are that we think that we have to come in with some great strength and power in our voice to communicate that? Like God uses weak vessels to proclaim his word. And he uses the, the word, not, not only the written word of God, but he uses the written word of God read and explained, preached. You know, how will they hear unless someone is sent? He, That is the method that God has decided to use to to get his word, to to grow his kingdom, bring people into into the family of God, is through the spoken word. Uh, Just the the last point for this passage before we move on to um, uh, the subject of teaching, preparing, is just the, the recognition of the Spirit's role. We all we are, it's kind of like the Christ parable of the sower who, just kind of the farmer who casts the seeds out and goes to sleep. And then, you know, it starts to grow on its own. It's like, well, all he kind of did was cast the seed out. And then he has to wait. The rest belongs to God. We can get really discouraged as pastors or teachers if we... We think, man, I really need people to get this. I really need people to grow. I really need people to come to Christ. And I'm going to, I'm really going to get, I'm going to pull it out of them. Like, well, we can't do that. And it can be discouraging if we think that that's within our power to do. So it's a vast importance that we realize that we, we be faithful to God's word. We teach it or preach it to the best of our abilities we can grow in our teaching skills, but I think it, it still requires much weakness and humility in our teaching and preaching. And it's important for us to realize that we are not the ones who cause any form of, of life to spring up or growth in that plant, in that person. We must rely on the, on the work of the Holy Spirit. So all we can do is faithfully proclaim Christ and Him crucified, which uh, is really what the totality of the word of God points to. So that that kind of really ties in with much of what we're going to be going over uh, today as we we work through uh, these various points. So first off, just springboarding off of that, I am not an expert teacher. Um, Yeah, and John Pouliot had to leave. It's like, John's a teacher. 
He's a professional teacher. Uh, yeah, I, and we have professional teachers in our congregation. I'm not a professional teacher. Some of you have been teaching for longer than I have. So part of today is uh, I want you to have questions and comments to share kind of your experience, your thoughts on these things. What I'm going through certainly isn't exhaustive. Uh, it's just kind of the things that as I've studied and I've uh, kind of thought through these things, these are some of the, those uh, points that have stood out to me. Uh, and I, I do think they're useful, but there is certainly not the end-all be-all. You know, I, I can grow from hearing from you guys. So please share comments and questions throughout. Um, even when I'm going to go over, I don't always follow precisely. There are certain, you know, there are certain things that uh, kind of might be the basic framework for any lesson or sermon that I'm going to preach. But then there's certain t- certain things that come up that might not quite fit into these categories. Uh, so again, I'm just want to set that, you know, kind of make it clear that uh, that those things, uh, that this isn't kind of a, a formula that you absolutely have to follow, uh, even though I do believe it's, there's some points in here that are, uh, that should be helpful. Also, uh, just as a uh, kind of, again, pulling from 1 Corinthians 2, even though, uh, I'm not a professional teacher as a pastor and Sheldon and John as elders. It is our responsibility in the church to make sure that the word is being proclaimed faithfully. Um, So uh, again, I am more concerned with our teachers and I know Sheldon and John are as well, that the word is proclaimed faithfully and accurately. Now we're going to make mistakes sometimes that's, Sometimes it's just simply misspeaking and using, using a, the wrong word, which can sometimes like, what did he just say? Like, I'm sorry, use the wrong word. Um, sometimes those are like little minor mistakes. Um, sometimes we, d- d- we say things wrong and um, we can get corrected and grow. But we do want to make sure as to the best of our ability that we are faithfully proclaiming the word of God. And that is more concern, I think, to all of us uh, than your skill as a teacher. I think there are... Um, I'm going to pick on, pick on you. On you. And you probably wouldn't like it. You probably wouldn't like it, but I know you don't like being in front of people. You don't like being in front of people, and yet you have willingly in the past done the scripture reading. And I know you get nervous when you, when you do that. I love it. It's just reading. Right. I love it. I love hearing someone get up and read scripture, even if it's through a trembling voice, um, to, to simply even understand the weight of what they're doing. Um, so I, I, I put over teaching skill the ability to faithfully proclaim the word of God uh, way above that. So let's dive in then into our first topic of preparation, specifically studying uh, for a, a passage of Scripture. Now, I, I prefer 
very much uh, in preaching, getting to go through a book of the Bible. Uh, I, I want to, uh, and, and, and here's why. When we come to a text, or even a topic, we have to, and this isn't the first point, this is just something on my mind. It should be a point. But we have to come to come to that text or that topic, not saying, what do I want to say today? But what does God's word say? And it's very it's important that, that, that we do that. It's really, it's coming to the word of God in that weakness and humility and saying, I need to teach what you're saying through your word. Uh, a topical study is difficult because you're kind of coming first off saying, hey, this is what I want to teach on. And you really have to be careful in your study that you're not um, twisting scripture, just merely proof texting scripture uh, to uh, make it say what you want to say. It's harder in a topical thing to, to really make sure that you are saying no. I, even though I'm speaking on a general topic of that scripture <laughs> speaks on, I have to make sure that I am saying what scripture says and not just what Jeremy wants to say about it. So again, I love preaching through a book of the Bible because it forces me to deal with the text that's in front of me. And even with that, though, there's that danger of initially saying, oh, I've read this passage once. I really know what I, hey, Josh, I really know what I want to say about it. And, uh, and then your whole study is based on what you want to say about it rather than rather than sitting under the teaching of the word, saying, no, this is, I, I need to say, I need to allow my studies of this text to, de- to determine what God actually is saying through this text. Um, this is the whole idea of being under the word. This is in uh, some churches, like Presbyterian churches, a lot of them will have the big, the big pulpits where the, the pastor is up high, it's not for the pastor to be up above the people. It's literally for the word to be above the people. So that in a picture, we are sitting under the word, under the teaching of the word. Um, some, some pastors, I don't know that I could ever do this. I, I do it every rare once in a while. Some pastors make a point of preaching constantly with their Bible in their hand. They may have their notes here, but they're always holding their Bible. And, I, and the reason, at least some that I've heard do it, like, they just want their Bible to be visible to the people. This is what I'm proclaiming. Not, I'm striving not to proclaim what I want to say, but what, what Scripture is actually saying. So, with that in mind, the first point for preparing for a specific passage is to study prayerfully. We, if, we want, if we want to be teaching what God's Word says, we need to be prayerful about it. We, we recognize, as we looked at in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, the spirits, the necessity for the Spirit's work. So if we really want what we are teaching to land on the heart of the class, well, that's the Spirit's work. So that's what we need to be praying for the Spirit to do His work through the, the Word to land on people's heart and to cause the increase uh, that uh, that only he can do. So we need to be prayerful. We need to be praying that uh, 
we uh, can understand correctly his word. Uh, we need to pray that we would believe it because if you don't believe what you're teaching, that the is going to be flat for the class. Now, some God oftentimes works even in our weakness and frailty and unbelief. Um, so sometimes the worst sermons, I feel like I step down from the pulpit and I'm like, wow, that was a huge dud. And then someone will say, thank you so much. I really needed that. And they'll kind of restate the point that I hoped everyone would get that I thought, oh, I don't think anyone heard it. I'm like, oh, well, the Lord worked even, even, through my, even through my weakness. Here, Jeff. Oh, thank you. Um, so we need to be prayerful, prayerful that, uh, for our own hearts in the, in the, in the study of the word, that we're being faithful to the text, not just simply what we want to say, praying for the people who will be hearing it. Uh, it's all of our studies ought to be wrapped in prayer. The, the second point is, is, uh, study anew or, or study afresh, um, this is, as we, div- as we teach more, as we study the word more, we are always learning. So I may be teaching on the same passage of scripture that I've taught on before as much as I can. I think that the only time I've ever re-preached a sermon was when I went and did pulpit fill for Doug in Bonaire, and I preached a sermon that I recently had preached. Other than that, if I have prepared for a certain text before, I rarely look at my old notes. Maybe at the end, I'll, I'll look at it just to kind of see um, uh, if there's something I've forgotten or something like that, but I try as much as possible to study anew. Because as we develop, as we study the word more and more, our own kind of internal systematic theology is going to be changing. And if we, if we develop a, a better understanding of one kind of area of scripture, it, that affects kind of everything else. So if, if I am three, down, three years down the road and teaching us a, piece, a text from scripture or a topic, and I'm, and I'm saying, you know, I taught this three years ago. I, I know what it says. We need to be careful with that because likely you have, your understanding has changed some. And you might actually pull out those little notes. I mean, wait, I, I, I did what? I said what? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, it's important for us to study anew, to study afresh to make sure that we um, are, are properly understanding the word, that as, as our understanding of God and his word has developed over time, as we've grown, which we should always be doing, that we are um, mindful of that and how that can impact our understanding of, of uh, the word. Uh, in, the, in that uh, kind of same vein, this is still under point two, we're not looking... Um, for, for something new and, ex, and exciting uh, to kind of pull out of, out of Scripture. Uh, we, we have to be really careful that we, uh, that we aren't saying, man, 
everyone's so familiar with, you know, like maybe you're, you're teaching some parable or something like that. And you're like, man, everyone's, this is so famous. This is the, the parable of the prodigal son. Everyone's heard this before. Everyone's heard it preached many times before. Everyone heard, has heard it taught many times before. What's something new and exciting that I can pull out that'll really get people excited? <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, we're not looking for something new and exciting. We're look, we're, we're really should be striving um, for for the truth. Uh, we we want to make sure that. Uh, First off, that we're remembering the Word of God is exciting. The Word of God is is the most wonderful gift that we've been given. We've been given Christ and and the, the Word reveals Christ to us. There's nothing boring about the Bible. Now sometimes as we're going through our Bible reading maybe, our Bible reading plan, you get to certain sections of Leviticus or Numbers, and like, oh boy. It's like, you need to remember, this is, this is the word of God. He has given us, even Numbers, those long lists of people for a reason. Now, preaching Jesus Christ is going to be a lot easier for maybe a specific verse in Romans. However, the those long lists of people and numbers are part of a larger story that can remind us of God's faithfulness and how God works through his people. Uh, so uh, it's important for us to remember the word of God is exciting in, its own, in, in and of itself. We don't need to create some excitement. Uh, I think I heard some, I hate to use the word pastor. Uh, I forget who it was now, but it's someone that like not even it, anywhere related to our circles. This is years ago, but he was teaching the Red Sea crossing. And he's like, and I, I was studying the, the original language and what, it actually, what actually happened was the waters froze. And he goes through this whole detail how the waters literally became ice and melon. And in that, you know, <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, but, you know, just trying to come up with something that some, no one's ever heard before so to get people like, oh, wow. We don't, we shouldn't do that. We should not do that. Um, I'm going to try to keep moving through these because I don't, we, we've got a lot to cover. But uh, point three. So point two was we're not looking, uh, we want to study anew. Point three, we want to be scholarly in our study that's simple in our delivery. Scholarly in our study, simple in our delivery. So typically, now, I have the benefit of getting to do this full time. <laughs> so I get, I get to add, do a lot more study on certain things uh, than most people are, are afforded the time or opportunity to do. Uh, but as much as you are able to, and still maintain, maintaining your job, maintaining your, uh, your responsibilities and your love for your family, finding that proper amount of time for study is, is important. We want to spend time in the study. Um, it's 
going to vary for different people. But in the time that we do study, we want to be scholarly in our studies. A lot of times what we end up doing, and like this is kind of how it should work, is we study and kind of get that much stuff. Like, wow. Like this, the sermon I'm about to preach on uh, tomorrow, there's so much. (laughs) And I have to really be careful because I can't go on for, I, I could go on for two or three hours, but I don't think that probably people would be falling asleep on me. I can't do that as much as I would want to sometimes. So you have all this stuff and then being simple in your delivery is saying, okay, now from all that, what do I really want to boil down and hone in on for a congregation? Now, sometimes you really can kind of um, condense all that you've learned into kind of that one thing. Sometimes it's saying, okay, I, I can't, can't deal with this, I can't deal with that, but I can deal with this particular point. And that's, that's going to be the most beneficial for the class, most beneficial for the congregation. Um, so, so we need to, we, we really want to study our passage well. We want to do it scholarly. Uh, kind of steps in studying the passage, start simply by reading it. Read it in your English Bible. Read and reread and reread it again. Um, in not only, so if you're like thinking of our recent <laughs> Ephesians class, not only the, the chunk of Ephesians that you have, but the, within its context. Now, if you're doing, if you're, if you're doing a, a, a passage out of Romans, it's going to be a little bit harder to like reread the entire book of Romans over and over and over again. Ephesians is a little easier. It's a shorter book. But even in a, a, a bit of a larger book like Romans, and if, depending on the amount of time you have, you can probably find kind of the section that that passage is in and kind of and, and read it in its context. So we're, we're reading and rereading the passage that we're going to teach. We're reading and rereading uh, as much as we can the, the context that the passage is in. And we're kind of looking for and keeping uh, our uh, minds kind of honed in on what the big picture of that certain epistle is, if, that, if we're teaching out of an, out of an epistle. What's, what's the, again, Ephesians, what's the big point that Paul's making? How, how do his points along the way kind of work toward that point? If, if Paul's making one point in Ephesians, how, how, how does the passage that I'm teaching relate back to that? And we're kind of making sure that we're understanding so that, especially as we teach through in a Sunday school class, um, a letter like Ephesians, you don't have one passage and like everyone else is kind of on the same page pointing toward that one goal and you're like way coming to a full a different conclusion we, we, we need maybe that's where we work together too is kind of talking with one another making sure we're understanding things correctly a lot of times that's why if we do if we do a study in a book um, you know, kind of recommend that everyone's working out of the same basic study guide or kind of commentary to kind of like hey let's work toward this this is kind of the main point that Paul's driving home um, so the past the immediate passage, that you're teaching, the context that that passage is in within the, the book, but then also within the 
what's the context within the whole Bible? Now, before you're, before you're reading your, uh, before you're preparing for your class on Sunday, like, okay, read and reread the Bible <laughs> in the, this week. That's why we need to be in the Word all the time. We need to be reading our Word uh, often. Um, we, we need to be, I think this is one of the benefits of, of going through like a yearly Bible reading plan is it is forcing us in a very good way to read through the whole counsel of God, to, uh, to be working through it systematically so that the, the, the more familiar we are with the Bible, um, the, the more connections our minds start to make. Um, I'm going to pick on Alan again. I, he had, this guy has a really sharp mind. He, he knows, he, he not only reads his Bible very frequently and often, and I don't know how many times you've read the Bible all the way through, but a lot, I think. And he has a really good mind for like knowing where things are in, in, in the Bible. What A habit I have as I read through um, my Bible is I, I have a kind of my, my study Bible of sorts. It's just my personal Bible that I am really comfortable writing in. So it has, you know, there's some Bibles out there that have good chunky margins for this. This kind of didn't start off that way, but it became my, my study Bible. It doesn't have huge margins, but I'll make my own cross-references. So even if there's, even if there's cross-reference, even, even if the cross-reference is pointed to in the bottom, in my Bible, that's really small. <laughs> and I don't look frequently <laughs> down on those. For my, for my own sake, I'm making notes in my Bible, like, hey, this passage links to this passage, and you've got your New Testament scriptures linking to your Old Testament scriptures, and vice versa, you're kind of making that mental map in your mind as you're reading through scripture, connecting the dots of scripture, because this is, even though it's broken down into 66 books, this is one story. This is God's, God's word for us. So it, it connects. There's logical connections throughout uh, and as you, you read the apostles, that's what they're doing constantly, is they're saying, hey, it's like the, the psalm says. Um, we need to, we, we have to be careful with that because we're not apostles to make links that aren't necessarily there. But that doesn't mean there aren't links. And we, through careful study, I think it's worthwhile make those cross-reference, make those cross-references, make notes, uh, there's sometimes, a lot of times I'll make notes in my Bible, which is whatever I happen to have in hand. But if there's something that I'm like, maybe not quite sure about, sometimes I'll do that intentionally in pencil. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to put this in pencil so I can come back and study a little bit more and then erase it and edit it as needed sort of thing. Um, I look back at some of my, my older Bibles, uh, just as a, like a teenager and some of the notes I've made in there, like, Oh yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting note. <laughs> Don't want anyone to find that. <laughs> yeah, like I wish I hadn't done that in pen. Um, no, but it's a, again, it goes back to that kind of study a new point. Is that we need to again, my, I I change my my theology uh, develops over time. So, kind of being familiar with the whole whole of the Bible is important for us. Like I said, make notes. Jot down questions. 
kind of work through all that. The next step, after you've kind of wrestled with the passage on your own, is starting to look at commentaries and things like that. We should try to have that order in place where we're not immediately looking at the commentary and saying, okay, now I, now I look at the scripture and it, I'm overlaying that commentary on it. We ought to wrestle with it ourselves for a little bit while. That's, that's a really good practice of writing those questions down. Like, <clears throat> and maybe that's where you get to the commentaries. Like, man, I just don't quite understand this particular point. You know, write a question down there. And as you read the commentaries, you're like, oh, okay, that, help, that really helps make sense. We don't want to read and study Scripture as though we're the first ones to read and study Scripture. That is a dangerous thing. <clears throat> we want to make sure that we um, are looking at... at uh, uh, commentaries at maybe even as we're looking at specific points, digging into some systematic theology, digging into our confession. What do we believe the Bible in its totality teaches on this? Um, it's we we don't want to ever think that we are the first ones to read Scripture. Um, if you have so that you've studied the passage on your own, you've kind of started to come into some conclusions and then you get into the commentaries and you're like, this guy doesn't mention that. This guy doesn't talk about that. This guy doesn't say that. <laughs> then you're like, okay, time out. If, if I'm coming up with something new, if I'm coming up with something that no one else has seen, then I probably need to look that, at that again. Uh, again, this is the kind of the whole idea of not being new and exciting. Like sometimes we pull pull things out of Scripture that uh, aren't there. Again, as a kid reading through my Bible, I'll pick on myself this time. I I was probably too old, um, but I, I found it so exciting. I think it must have been reading through. Um, well, I was reading through the historical books talking about David's mighty men, and one of I, I, I don't know if I was reading through in the New American Standard or King James, uh, but one of his mighty men goes through these things. So and so, so and so fell upon someone, you know, uh, so and so, and he died. And then he fell upon so and so, and he died. Like this guy, as a kid, he must be, he must be huge. <laughs> All he has to do is fall on people. <laughs> And I would be quite embarrassed if I stood in front of a class and said, he, all he, God prepared this man with his mighty size to just go around and fall on people and they died. And then then some, some kindly old lady would say, fall upon just means, it's like a word that means he, he killed him. Just doesn't mean he literally fell upon him. He came upon him and, and attacked him and killed him. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we want to be careful, um, not run wild with just our our own things. Um, we want to make sure that uh, there's there's agreement. Um, now, not everything we study, as you look at different commentaries, are going to have agreement. 
And you kind of have to wrestle with that and, and, and kind of dig into your studies. And I said, I think it's good, especially in, our, in the church context, to go back to the confession, see if the confession speaks into those things at all, uh, to make sure that we are um, staying uh, consistent with the word of God. Um, as we, well, here, let me get, give an example before I get into this next one. It's not the next point. Not the next point, it's just kind of the next part of this being scholarly in our study. Um, what does what does justification mean? Someone give me just kind of a... Imputed, the imputed righteousness of Christ. The imputed righteousness of Christ. Being made right with God. Being made right with God. <clears throat> So what happens when we turn to James 2, 24, I believe, where he says, so you see, man is, man is justified by works and not by faith alone. We say, oh, well, justification means the imputed righteousness of Christ. Justification means being made right before God. So, we're really misunderstanding Paul and all he's saying, because James here is saying, no, we are justified by our works and not by faith alone, even though Paul says we're justified by faith alone. This is a caution just on words, on like our word studies and things like that. Word studies can sometimes be helpful, but it's context that is most important. This is one of the first things as I got into uh, my Greek class. Not only as I got into it, almost every single class, my Greek professor would, be, would, sit, would ask this question. So we're working through something. It says, now how do we know that? And the answer, you got, it's kind of like the Sunday school answer in, when you're the little kid in Sunday school, if you say Jesus, you're going to be right most of the time. In this class, if you say context most of the time, you'd be right. Context, context, context. You have to study words in their context. You have to be really careful that we're not... Um, <clears throat> and I've, I've made this mistake. We're about to watch a little video. I've made, I've made this mistake where... I've done a word study, and like, oh, this word means all this. And then I like, stood up and said, yeah, blah, 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 blah. This word means blah, blah, like this huge long sentence and all that. Like, okay, but is that really what the context of the passage, how the, the, the usage of that word? This is um, really important for us to understand because that helps us not to come to wrestle with Romans 3 and James 2, like, okay, how do we deal with the use of justified in these passages? Because justified only means this thing. No, what's the context? And as we read the context, we understand, yes, we are justified by faith alone because in the sense that Paul is talking about our justification, it is the imputed righteousness of Christ. It is what gives us right standing before God. 
the way James is talking about justification, he's talking about it more as vindication, that if we don't have any works, then our faith is dead because we believe that we believe in the totality of our salvation. We believe that when we are united to Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not leave us without any fruit. Because as Christ said, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. We should expect good fruit from believers. Now, that you have to be really careful, like we said, about being fruit inspectors. Like, you need to produce more fruit. That can look different in different people. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we can't say, you know, sir, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm just, you are, you are showing just bad fruit after bad fruit after bad fruit. Uh, a book I recently read <coughs> on this topic kind of set, set the whole subject up with two men becoming, coming before an elder board uh, to get, kind of give member interviews. And the first guy comes in kind of uh, representing legalism. And he says, yeah, he gives his, his testimony of Christ. And he says, I've gone to church my entire life. I, uh, I, I serve in these different capacities in the church. I do all this. Uh, I do, I do, I do, I do. The next person comes in and he shares the gospel. And yet they know his life is, a, is an absolute wreck. He shows zero fruit that he believes the words that he just shared. And the question then is, well, what, what man is admitted into membership? And the answer is neither. Neither. And that's James' point in James 2 is, if we are in Christ, we will bear good fruit. Now, we aren't the ones who say, oh, yep, you're, you're elect, you're reprobate. Yeah, we, can, we can't tell those things. But all we can do is work off the standard of Scripture and sometimes say, as I know Damien has in, in, in um, member interviews, you're not ready to be a member yet because I'm not sure about your... I can't, I can't truly accept your, your confession of Christ. But that doesn't mean we want we, that you should leave. That means we, you just need to be among God's people, be under the teaching of the Word more. Um, so kind of work through those things. So just a caution on where it says we're going to watch a little video. Uh, hopefully we'll, we're not going to be able to watch the, the whole thing because of time. But I, uh, hopefully it'll be helpful for you. What I'll do is I'll send the link out. <clears throat> So you can kind of get to the next point of it. The, these, uh, this guy, I found this in my YouTube thread, and I really like a lot of his videos. His his main thrust in in his videos is speaking about King James onlyism, and just trying to educate people on like, why we shouldn't say. You know why one uh, translation of the Bible is a, somehow a God-given translation, that sort of thing. But th this is a, a video about um, 
kind of words that how to use Strong's concordance and what to use instead. A friend of mine recently pulled his church, both members and pastors, to see which Bible study resources they used. Independently, just about every single one of them named Strong's concordance. Many mentioned nothing else, especially the lay people in the church. Strong's was their only Bible study tool. I'm here to help you understand two things. One, how to use Strong's concordance, and two, why you should probably reach for better tools instead. I'll tell you what those tools are, and I'll mention both free and paid resources. And I want you to know, I will work in good faith in both parts of this article. Video. If you choose to use Strong's in your Bible study, I'll show you what to do and what not to do. But I hope you will consider my recommended alternatives. Here is how the original 1890 title page described Strong's Concordance. Gotta love those massive explanatory 19th century titles. Original title, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. Let me explain the elements. A concordance is just a list of words in a book in alphabetical order. Strong's is a concordance of the words in the common English version. In other words, the translation used by effectively all English speakers, namely the King James, or authorized version of the Bible. It is a concordance, however, of just the canonical books, the canon as understood by Protestants. So no apocrypha or deuterocanon. It's exhaustive. All the words are there except for 47 words that are so common that they wouldn't be helpful for the purposes of a concordance, which is typically finding passages of the Bible by searching for keywords that you can remember. Here are those 47 exceptions. Strong's puts the King James words it lists in regular order. That means alphabetical order, from Aaron, Abagtha, to Zane and Zechariah and Zephaniah. If you were studying your King James and just couldn't remember where the phrase, wherewith Christ hath made us free, was, you'd be out of luck. But look up the word free in Strong's and soon you'll see this. Bam! That is helpful to the paper-oriented Bible student. And at the end of the line, you'll see one of the other major values of Strong's Concordance. It's a number, 1659. That number actually tells you the Hebrew or Greek word, the Greek word in this case, that was translated free in the passage listed there, Galatians 5.1. The Greek word here happens to be 1659th in the also alphabetical list of Greek words in the New Testament that Strong's compiled. And that brings us to the next major portion of Strong's title page. What you're supposed to do with Strong's is find out what Hebrew or Greek word the King James translators were looking at in any given case, the one they chose to translate as free in Galatians 5.1, for example. Then you're supposed to go look up that word in the dictionaries, the Hebrew and Greek dictionaries in the back of the volume. This is what most people, most of the time, are doing with Strong's, especially now that Google can help you find whatever passage you may only remember a snippet of. Usually today, when people say they use Strong's concordance for their Bible study, I think they mean they use the dictionary in it to look up the meaning of Hebrew and Greek words. In many circles of English-speaking Christianity, Strong's is the go-to resource, and Strong's is indeed a potentially powerful tool for Bible study. Without even knowing Hebrew or Greek, you can, on your own, go look up the Hebrew and Greek words of Scripture. You can even see where else a given Greek or Hebrew word that you're studying in one passage gets used in others, and how it gets translated in other passages. This lexically focused approach is characteristically Protestant. 
and often fruitful. It's powerful for Bible study, if you know what you're doing. So let's do it. Let's look up G1659, Greek word 1659, and see what we find in Strong's Brief Dictionary, the back of the volume. This is what we find. Let me break down the elements of this entry. 1659 is the Strong's number assigned to the Greek word that we've just looked up. Then comes the Greek word itself, eleutherao. That's written out in Greek letters, which most users may not be able to use. This is likely to be helpful to very few users of Strong's in other ways, because it wasn't designed to be a tool for those who know Greek or Hebrew. So what follows is a transliteration. That is the same word in English letters with pronunciation helps, eleutherao. And then another transliteration with even more pronunciation helps, eleutherao. The acute accent mark shows which syllable to stress, eleutherao. What comes next is less helpful in my opinion. Strong's tell you the etymology of the word that we've just looked up. It's from 1658, which is easy enough to look up because it's the previous entry in the Greek dictionary. It's just the noun form of this verb, eleutherao. That word in turn says it is from Strong's 2064, which is the word come. I don't see how this helps anyone. My honest advice in this how-to video, and I'll explain myself a little bit more later, is that you just skip the etymologies in Strong's. They will rarely tell you anything useful to actual Bible interpretation. And when they do seem to tell you something useful, that something will very likely be wrong, at least technically, and sometimes even worse. A word's history is no sure guide to its present meaning. Or the word December from Deci, 10 in Latin, would be the 10th month, and the true meaning of my name, Mark, would be the Roman god of war, Mars, that's where my name comes from. Now we get to the meat on the dry lexicographical bones, a definition. To liberate, Strong says. That is, figuratively, to exempt from moral ceremony or mortal liability. This is what Strong's called applied significations of the word, justly but tersely analyzed and expressed. This is what the Greek word eleutherao means when used in the New Testament, as expressed in a few synonyms and incredibly brief explanations. This is what most people are after when they look up a Greek word here in Strong's. And this is what Strong's delivers. Finally, we get to more words that may mildly confuse anybody who didn't read the fine print at the beginning of the dictionary, which is most people in my experience. We get deliver and make free. These are not definitions or even synonyms. They are what's called glosses. These are the words that are actually used by the King James translators to translate this word, eleutherao, in the New Testament. They chose deliver in Romans 8, 21, and make free in the six other places that this word occurs in the New Testament, including Galatians 5, 1. So now what are we supposed to do? What are you supposed to make of all this information? I've got three suggestions. First, Strong's gives you quick and dirty glosses, translation equivalents in English of Hebrew and Greek words. And that is useful in a pinch for Hebrew and Greek students who don't happen to have better resources at hand. That's what I'm doing when I turn to Strong's. Second, those glosses should, in almost every case, confirm, simply confirm, strengthen, and establish what you already know from English. More on this in the section later in the video. Third, if you don't know any Hebrew or Greek, but you do have a sense for what counts as a literal or formal translation and what counts as a dynamic or functional translation, like 
they shake their heads at us in the New Living Translation, that's formal, versus a laughing stock among the peoples, that's in the NASB, that's functional. Strong's can give you a sense for what's going on with idioms and figures of speech. Now, the Net Bible has a note at that passage, literally shaking of the head, but you can come closer to seeing it for yourself by using Strong's. This summarizes the benefits of Strong's Dictionary of Hebrew and Greek. More advanced students of scripture or of language may possibly use it to survey the usage of a given Hebrew or Greek word and then come up with their own ideas as to what it means from how it's used. But there are much better tools for this work as we will soon discuss, and that work is not accessible to most people. I must offer a few warnings here on how not to use Strong's. These tips will end up being reasons for using different tools. First, avoid thinking that you've discovered the true meaning of the word free in the Bible by looking it up in Strong's. <laughs> Don't assume that every time Strong's word 1659 occurs, what it really means is to liberate from moral ceremony or mortal liability. Because, again, what did Strong's tell you that you didn't already know from reading Galatians 5.1 in English? Let's read the verse in the King James Version. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again, that's Galatians 5.1 in the King James. In context, to which every Bible reader should stay hyper alert, Paul is talking about new covenant freedom from certain old covenant expectations. So, yes, the word translated made free is being used to speak of the freedom that Christ has given to Christians to live apart from dietary and circumcision laws. We are free from moral ceremony, in other words. But that's not what the Greek word itself contributes, what it really means. The moral ceremony part is a part of it. And let me give you two reasons why I think it's important enough to tell you that. One, you don't want to develop the idea that only people who understand Hebrew and Greek can really know what the Bible really means, as if there's a hidden mind, a vein of rich meaning that Spanish or Russian or Urdu Bible readers don't have access to. Remember, Strong's did not say anything about Galatians 5.1 that you could not know from context in the King James Version, or ESV, or NASB, or NIV, or any of a number of the other excellent English Bible translations that we have today. Second, you don't want to import meaning improperly from one context of the New Testament into another. The next move Bible readers are often tempted to make is to take the real meaning of a given Greek or Hebrew word and read it into other passages where that word gets used. Look back at the entry for free in the concordance. You'll see that number strong 1659 pop up again in John 8:32, for example, in the famous phrase, the truth shall make you free. When Jesus said, the truth shall make you free, what did he mean? The temptation we have as users of Strong's is to say, aha, he meant to make you free from moral ceremony and mortal liability. An excited preacher or a small group leader might immediately scribble down some insights from the Greek to share with his or her group. And that preacher or leader might say, Jesus was promising to make his Jewish hearers free from moral ceremonies. But in every context in which that word occurs, a Lutherado, including John 8, 32, the context specifies what it is people are being made free from. Jesus clarifies that his hearers are made free from sin. That, in context, is what the truth will free them from. This may seem minor, but I've seen well-meaning Bible interpreters fall off the proverbial wagon this way many times. They get all jumbled up, mixing context together, instead of focusing on what their very carefully constructed English translations are already clearly telling them in their own language, putting gold right on the surface of the ground, as it were. 
they get fascinated with the supposedly hidden layer of meaning in the Greek that other people can't see. But what they come out with is that other kind of gold, the one it would be offensive to name on this channel. You know, iron pyrite. <laughs> this is hard to say, and I've come to find it's even harder to hear. Most of the insights that I see people derive from Strong's are wrong. Not horribly wrong, not heretically wrong, just linguistically and hermeneutically and therefore technically wrong, which is wrong enough. We want to get stuff right. We want to understand what God said. So what resources should you use instead of Strong's Concordance? I will talk through several categories of such resources. Honestly, my first replacement is that you just stick with it. Uh, I'll send that out so you can get to the good resources. I just kind of mainly wanted to um, show that point. I should turn the screen off so you don't get mesmerized by Barracuda swimming around. Barracuda, yeah, like the Office episode where Michael is talking and he thinks everyone's just so intrigued with what he's saying. But they're really just watching a little square bounce around on the screen. <laughs> and they're, they're playing a game, waiting for it to go into the corner. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then finally it does. They cheer. And Michael's like, yes, that was the best speech I've ever given. World's greatest boss. The, um, the whole Strong's kind of thing reminded me of, uh, of um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen uh, my, big, my big fat Greek wedding that the dad, who's a very proud Greek man, is, you know, showing the scenes from growing up. And he's always, you give me any, any word and I will tell you the Greek origin of that, of that word. Like, he says, you know, arachnophobia, arachna, from, you know, spider, phobia, fear. There you go, fear of spiders. So, like, the girls and the, the kids in the back, okay, kimono. Kimono. <laughs> he's like, kimono, kimono. Kimono. And then he gives them this kind of off-the-wall reason why the Greek this is the foundation of the word kimono. And I, sometimes that's what we do with, you know, using Strong's wrongly. Um, so we want, to be, we want to be careful with that. Um, again, still under the, the section of being scholarly in our study and simple, simple in our delivery. Um, as we're preparing... Uh, with that goal of being simple in our delivery, uh, we want to we want to make sure that we're just thinking through things as as we're kind of gathering all the information in, thinking through okay, what are the simple terms of how I will explain this? Uh, what's kind of the logical progression? Kind of taking I've a lot of times when I'm studying something, I'll have a note on my phone that just is has it. A ton of notes, not in any particular order on stuff that then I kind of work through later. We want to think about how to put things in a logical pro, uh, progression. We want to prepare with the with the congregation, the class in mind. Uh, it's a good thing to know our people and uh, to uh, kind, of, kind of maybe know what we need to hone in on. Again, we want to be careful that we're not saying congregation really needs to know this. So where is that in this passage? No, we, we need to trust the word of God. Um, his timing is way better than our timing. So if we're in a specific passage, we have to preach that specific passage. Um, now, some, that doesn't mean that sometimes we'll say, hey, especially for preaching, we're going to do a little time out on this because we do need to give some specific instruction to our congregation. Um, but we don't want to say, hey, the next passage 
that I'm going to be studying is, you know, Deuteronomy 1. I, I think the first week we're going to like do Deuteronomy 1 uh, through 3, like chapters. But I, what I really want to teach on is, you know, unity in the church. And so I'm going to find that in Deuteronomy. We got, we got to be careful with that. Should, should do that. Um, practice on your family. You're with your spouses. Talk through what you're studying. As we're thinking of how to put something kind of in simple terms and in a logical order, it's helpful to actually talk it through with someone else. Um, and even the act of, of explaining it will help you realize, oh, I, I need to go back and study that a little bit more because I'm having a hard time explaining it. It's really exciting up here in my head. I just don't know quite how to get it out in words. Uh, so um, uh, kind of practice with your family. Um, the next section I'm going to talk about outlining and just a logical thought. So let's go on to preparing for a topical study, uh, particularly from a book uh, like we're going to do in the next class, which starts in four Sundays or something like that on regeneration. These are little books that are great because they break them down in 13 chapters. So you can do a 13-week series. We've used them a number of times before. Um, but if, if we're studying for a topic or kind of from a particular book. Step one, what do you think step one is? Echo, it echoes the, what's that? Pray. Pray. So we want to study prayerfully still. So again, it's, we, we want to make sure that we are studying prayerfully, that we are um, praying uh, through um, our study, praying for understanding and belief, praying for the, the class, the congregation. We want to make sure we're studying prayerfully that um, we don't take a book and just say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to teach. I'm not exactly sure that's what scripture says, but that's my assignment. <laughs> you know, we don't, no, we, even if there's something here that we think, okay, no, this, I want to, I need to study scripture on this. Um, now, if you, there's something, if you're working through a book like that we've given you that we're teaching and you say, I, I totally disagree with this. Come talk with us. <laughs> Let's make sure we're all disagree. You know, it might be one of those things like, no, we think that's that's what scripture actually teaches. Study prayerfully. Uh, next thing, very much like um, the uh, uh, step two in the scripture teaching, is we want to we want to understand kind of the the major thrust of the book um, that we're reading. So we want to seek to understand the author's overall purpose and goal. Um, this is, you know, kind of basic ways of skimming a book and kind of getting the idea of, of the main thrust of the book. You might read, might read the back cover or in some cases the um, inside of the, of the book jack, of the desk cover, kind of looking for kind of a little synopsis of the book. You might find kind of what the author's main point or goal is. Uh, you might read little blurbs from other uh, other authors about their, you know, why they recommend it. You might say, oh, that right there is the kind of the purpose statement of the book. Um, read, the, read the introduction. Again, sometimes the author, especially in books uh, like doctrinal books, they're not trying to bury, lead, bury the lead. They will generally tell you early on, hey, this is my stated goal of what I'm trying, this is my argument. Kind of, Highlight that, circle that, note it, so you know um, 
then you can kind of you know read even read the table of contents you can get the logical progression that that the author's working through flip through and in this book it's you know you got your titles the past some sometimes the passages that they're going to be referencing uh, you might get some bold uh, bold kind of uh, dividers kind of kind of quickly skimming through, kind of reading things in bold, reading things that stand, just stand out off the page that the author is probably trying to bring out. You can kind of get an idea of the, of the general argument and the logical progression that the author is, is going to take you through. Um, you, at the end of chapters, sometimes books are really nice and will be like, conclusion. <laughs> like, oh, I can read this last paragraph and kind of get a really good idea of what that chapter is, is explaining in detail. So you're kind of working through the book that way. With a small book like this, if you have the time, you might be only teaching one chapter in it. But again, if you can, read the entire book so that when you're teaching your one chapter, it's, it is within that framework that the whole class is about. Uh, so, that, so it's not so disjointed. Um, then you want to focus in on, on the chapter that you're actually studying, um, seek to understand the point of the chapter and how it fits in with the overall argument of the book. Um, I, especially with a book like this, with short chapters, I suggest your first time through, you just read it. Don't stop and make any notes. Don't highlight, don't underline anything like that. Just kind of read through. Don't stop. I don't know what that word is. I'm going to look it up. First time through, just read through the chapter. Then the next time is when you start making your notes. Oh, okay. I don't know what this word means. I'm going to look that word up. I've got questions here. You're jotting your questions down, making you know, underlining certain things, highlighting certain things that stand out. Uh, that's kind of on your second read through. As you go through, then that second uh, read through and so on, uh, you, you know, want to start having those critical questions. Is the content of this chapter biblical? Um, start, you know, read the different scriptures that they reference. Maybe look at those, ref those scripture references and um, make sure they're being used appropriately. That just as, as far as proof texting goes, as we look at our confession sometimes, you look at some of the proof texts and scratch your head. <laughs> huh? It's what's interesting is when the you know the London Baptist Confession ultimately is based off the Westminster Confession. The Westminster divines, as they call them, the men who actually sat down to argue through and wrestle through all that, they fought, from what I understand, tooth and nail from putting pr proof references in. They did not want to put proof references in because you can really. There's certain things we understand from reading the totality of Scripture that just one verse doesn't, doesn't say. But um, the powers that be, uh, the governmental powers, kind of force their hand. Like, no, we want proof texts. So, yeah, sometimes you have those proof texts. Like, okay, that's a great one. They're like, eh, <laughs> don't know about that one. Um, so, yeah, read through the Scripture references that are cited Think through as you're reading this, as you're reading the um, chapter, what scripture stands out to you, to you about about this topic. Uh, think through it in that way. Um, again, we're not looking to necessarily disprove the book. We're just 
as everything else, wanting to be under the authority of Scripture. So uh, we want to make sure that we are teaching what Scripture says. Um, that was point three. If you had that, that was kind of re- reading the assigned chapter. Um, I, I, in my notes, I have seek to understand the argument of your assigned chapter and how it connects with the argument of the book. So one, under preparing to teach a topic, I had studied prayerfully. Two, seek to understand the author's overall purpose and goal. Seek to understand the author's overall purpose and goal. And three, seek to understand the argument of your assigned chapter and how it connects with the argument of the book. Number four, give me a second. Number four is is, uh, prepare to teach what you have studied. And this kind of, some of this um, is going to kind of go back even for the preparing to teach from a scripture text. So prepare to to teach what you have studied. First, we want to ask ourselves, before we move from study to, to actually kind of writing down an outline maybe of what we want to say, we want to ask ourselves, how well do I actually understand the subject? Do I need to go back and, and study it more? Now, sometimes as we sit down to work through our outline and logical progression, I'll understand, I'll see a whole, like, wait, I'm having a hard time going from here to here. Let me go back and study it some more. Um, so even in our preparation, oftentimes we'll go back and find that we need um, some further study. Uh, can you explain the topic in your own words? So we don't want to simply go and, you know, read the chapter um, when it's time to teach. Uh, what we say, because we are doing a kind of book study like this, what you say may very much, and probably should, very much align with what the chapter has to say. Um, but there's, there's a difference that when you kind of truly understand the topic yourself, you truly understand uh, and, and believe it to be true that you can teach it in your own in your own words. And I think this also goes to understanding the class and the congregation can shape shape the message, shape the content to fit fit our people uh, and kind of how you have come uh, to understand it. Uh, oftentimes in these sort of things, uh, like our last class on uh, being a healthy church member. There's a number of things I pulled from the chapters, but there's certain things that kind of stood out to me that I really wanted to give a special emphasis to um, in some of the classes I taught. So, so we're not, not merely parroting what the author says, uh, but kind of getting into our own words fit for the congregation. Think again of if there's additional scripture passages that come to mind. Uh, that, would be, that would be beneficial to add. Is there a lot of times... If you've noticed the way I teach, if I can, I like to kind of start with a little devotion. Um, so sometimes I, I take, if I'm doing a, a chapter out of a book like this, I will find a specific passage that speaks into that topic and kind of set the tone by doing a little bit of a devotion with that. Um, 
that's something I've I learned from a number of my professors. Um, I think I think it's something they encourage. Each class kind of begins almost with a little a little devotion. Then uh, kind of creating a teaching outline uh, that on the flip side of your page, there's an example outline. Now, these are kind of basic things, but I think sometimes it's worth repeating as you're just thinking through um, building an outline to teach from. The first thing you start off with when you kind of understand, you understand the topic and what you want to convey to the congregation is is coming up with a a, a thesis statement. Um, you kind of have your argument or your thesis statement. It says, this is my big idea. If there's anything I want people to walk away and say, this is what I, this is what I remember from that class. Because what is it? They say like people generally take 20% of what you say away. What's the big idea? And that big idea is probably something that in different ways you'll repeat throughout the class. Like that's the main takeaway that I want people to have. So you start off with your argument or your thesis statement and then your outline has to be, your outline is subordinate to that. Your outline basically is the supporting structure of that thesis statement. So you start off with your your various points that serve the thesis statement. You might have... Um, sub sub points that are supporting evidence for that first supporting point uh, and the second point and third point. One thing that helps as you're building an outline and writing it out is that you're, it helps you understand first off um, just the logical throw, uh, logical uh, flow of your argument. It also helps to keep you from getting too far into the weeds. Um, we always joke in our family about uh, mom, Melinda, who sometimes will start start a story and she says, first, and everyone's waiting for the second point and the second point never comes. Like, okay. Um, so, so like for your supporting evidence, as my logic professor said, you have to have more than one. If you only have one, then that is the point, <laughs> right? If you only have one, that's the point. You don't have to list more. So you, you, have, you should have at least two supporting evidences for your supporting point. And you probably don't need to go into the weeds further than that. If, you're, if, you're, if your outline is, you know, Roman numeral, capital, uh, capital A, one, lowercase a, you get into the ones and the lowercase a, you're probably getting into the weeds too much. Now, with all the content that you've studied, you might have all of that. But actually, and that's kind of the scholarly in your study part. But when it's come to the simplicity in your presentation, it's, it's keeping it simple. Keeping it simple. Um, the goal isn't to obey uh, the above rules of kind of making an outline, but just to simply help you and the class understand the text or the topic better. Um, Don't create more points than what you need. And yeah, don't get into the weeds. Okay. Um, For the sake of time, 
I'm going to get right into the teaching the lesson. So teaching, teaching the lesson. So now you've done all your preparation. You're ready. You you're ready to come and deliver you what you've have a nice clean logical argument to get to to actually teach. What do we want to do when we when we teach? And again, this can help you um, in your preparation. But the first thing is we want the class to know where we came from and where we are going. Um, this is kind of maybe what you would think of as a, a review section. I think it's very helpful. Uh, I, I have trouble sometimes. I love doing review, and I can have trouble sometimes end up just getting really excited about the review. <laughs> it takes too long. But finding a good way to kind of in a nutshell, in a, in a succinct way, give a review of where you've been in the class. Um, so the, you know, the last time that everyone was in the class was at best a week ago. They've done a lot between Sundays. and They're probably not fully remembering things very well. And maybe at worst, it's been longer if someone missed that last class. So by doing a review, we help kind of just paint a picture for the class to know, okay, this is what we've looked at so far. This is the main kind of argument of the class, that the main goal of the class. These are the, little, the individual topics about that that we've talked about so far. And then the idea of, of helping the class to know where we're going is saying, now, in, my, in the class today, this is what we're looking at. And it's a good opportunity to give that kind of your main argument. We don't want, there's, we don't need to, to have like mystery around everything. Like we generally, very, generally speaking, we don't need to uh, teach a class like we're in Night Shyamalan. And like we're going to get to the end and all of a sudden there's going to be this twist and then everything's going to make sense for everybody. From the beginning, we want the class, we want people to know where we're going. It, even in a sermon, this is really helpful when you can kind of lead, lead the class, lead the congregation along. Where they, you, You're coming to your next logical point and they're no, they know exactly why you're there. Like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. We're not, we're not trying to surprise uh, surprise the congregation. We're uh, just kind of working through um, working through it together. Um, as you th- as you do think of your kind of main idea, your your kind of your big idea for your lesson, try to think of something that's a kind of memorable sentence for someone to write down or some someone something to kind of tuck away. In the introduction to the Ephesians class, I'm actually going to mention this. Uh, tomorrow, but the introduction of the Ephesians class as you kind of looked at the general structure of Paul's letter, um, I use the line, redemption precedes obedience, kind of showing Paul starts off with what God has done for us in Christ. Outside of us, he builds this whole, whole argument and he says, and now that Christ has done all this for you, this is how that looks in your life, with your wife, with your kids, and in the household, and so forth. Um, so redemption 
a, a redemption precedes obedience. So kind of think of something that kind of helps people through. And that's kind of also help for, helpful for you as you're going probably to repeat that at different times throughout the class. There, is that still the first point under the first point or did I miss that? Yes, this is all the first point. Um, yeah, again, we don't want to leave congregants guessing where we're going because if, if the entire time the congregation or the class is trying to like figure, kind of guessing where you're going, trying to figure it out along the way, they're just going to be confused. So we, we're walking through it uh, so they can be tracking. It's just kind of the logical progression. Uh, point two is for, for our Sunday school classes is encourage dialogue. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit, though. Encourage dialogue. Why, why, what are some good reasons for us to, in a Sunday school class, encourage dialogue? Increases uh, participation, like, not just talking, but, like, the paying attention, I think, like, the mental checking in. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, you might have been misunderstood. Yeah. Those are the first two reasons I put down. I put down it helps helps the learning process if someone has to kind of forces them to vocalize something and to repeat back, and it helps us understand as teachers if we're actually been teaching it clearly. The other thing that happens in our classes a lot is uh, somebody will say it better than I just did. Yeah, and so I think it helps other people that might be also I'm left behind. Yeah. Sometimes my brain works very differently <laughs> than others. So, like, I could say, I could explain something, and it, it makes perfect sense to me. And then, then it's like, yeah, so you mean this? They go, well, yeah, that actually does sound better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's good for in a, in a uh, Sunday school class environment to invite comments, invite questions, because it really does help us engaging if people are understanding, to help people kind of wrestle through it as well. Um, we can do this a number of ways. Sometimes it's just making sure everyone understands from the beginning. Hey, feel free to raise your hands, you know, put out your comments and questions throughout uh, so we can kind of work through these things. Um, you can ask kind of more, you can ask questions throughout. Maybe in your notes you have Say, okay, I want to ask this question here. If we ask questions, uh, a good way to kind of go back to those first two things to make sure that people are um, properly um, understanding it and that just kind of help them in the learning process is we ask kind of open-ended questions. And this is a, this is a technique to help people feel comfortable to talk as well. Because every class has people who are really comfortable talking. And then there's people who just aren't quite so comfortable. So sometimes it's recognizing those people and maybe you can, t you can see the wheels in their head turning and you call them out by name. <coughs> hey, you know, what, what do you think about this, Jordan? Um, but um, we ask open-ended questions. So yeah, as an example here, I, I said, instead of asking, how should Christians show brotherly love? So if I ask, how should Christians show brotherly love? People immediately think, kind of, it narrows it down. 
Like, I need to find the right answer. Instead, you might say, um, what are some ways Christians can show brotherly love? That broadens it. That helps people to feel more comfortable. Like, okay. Oh, he's just looking for some ways. Um, so we, we kind of find ways to engage, uh, engage the class that way by, by giving uh, questions that help, um, that help them feel comfortable to get in. When we ask questions also, especially questions where we're really wanting to gauge if people are understanding, is you sometimes have to ask the question and then just wait. Uh, this is the hardest part, but you got to get comfortable with silence sometimes. If we really want to engage, you just got to ask the question and wait. Um, and eventually, it's kind of, it can become a, a fun game, like chicken or something. Like, oh, I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to give it to you. So you're waiting for, waiting for someone that, to, to speak up. Um, again, you can read the room and call on people who, who maybe you can tell maybe are thinking through it but just aren't comfortable uh, speaking unless they're invited. Um, <coughs> also, just to kind of jumpstart the dialogue, sometimes we have to call on people. Jeremy, yeah. I just want to point out for this encouraged dialogue because mm-hmm. I think, you know, whenever especially having been formally taught to teach, mm-hmm. right? I think you can kind of approach it with like, okay, I've done the study. I have to get this stuff across. And so the dialogue thing is not even necessarily that much on your radar. Mm-hmm. Even after hearing you say that, I just want to point out like Larry Stack's teaching. Yeah. Like, I think he is a great example of that. If, if there anyone was like curious of, how can I actually implement that? Just go back and listen to a class that Larry taught. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Larry does a great job with that. The one warning that I want to give with encouraging dialogue, and this is where we ba- have to balance things out, um, is we can, really, we can get ourselves into uh, a place where we are encouraging more of well, what I think is this, or the way this, the way, what this means to me. We don't, we're not here. I, I, I'm sorry, but I am not here to find out what this passage means to you. A lot of, you know, that in most churches, that might not be a very friendly thing to say, but we're not, he- and we're not even here to find out what this passage means to me as the teacher. We're, we're here to find out what God says. Um, we, we are under the word. We're not under our own personal feelings and, the, and those sort of things. So we, want to be, we need to be cautious in the, in the encouraging dialogue that's not simply becoming what, how, what does this mean to you sort of thing. Um, a lot of times, you know, most of the class is going to be, is going to be a lecture uh, but but yeah, we really want to make sure that we don't um, that we don't kind of encourage an environment necessarily where we're all just start talking about um, talking about our own personal thoughts on it uh, that aren't aren't 
humbly submitted to Scripture. Now, sometimes that requires us as teachers to kind of gently steer things. As, you know, we can't prevent someone from saying... So it's like someone says, what, what this really means to me is this, and you've done a lot of study on this, like, but that's not at all related to this. Like, you kind of gently steer without... We, want, we do want to be careful that we don't squash someone. And they're like, oh, I'm never going to speak in Sunday school class again. So it's being gentle and, and helping to steer that and um, making sure that we're not... The, the, the other balance is that, you know, something says something that um, some church council is called heresy at some point. You're like, <laughs> okay, well, that's nice. <laughs> like, well, well, actually... You know, what the Bible teaches is this. You know, it can be. <laughs> you, you guys have a little exchange like that once. <laughs> um, and, then, you know, a lot of times it's, I think it's important for us as teachers. Again, we've been wrestling with this text. We have all this information behind what we're saying. This is maybe the first time this week at least, that someone's thinking through these things. And, you know, it's just because someone says something a certain way. I don't, there's plenty of times I've said something certain ways, like, oh, I wish I could take that back, mm-hmm. reword that, because I think I said that wrong. Um, one thing also, I missed this, is as you invite questions, if we as teachers are setting an example of sitting under the word and being humble, someone asks a question that we're not sure about, admit it. It's not a big deal. Say, you know, that's a great question. I don't have an answer for you right now, but I'm going, I want to study that. I don't want to, I, I want to kind of wrestle with that some. It's, we don't have to be people who stand up and, like, I am the authority on this. I have studied it thoroughly, and I have left, you know, nothing unturned. I know it all. <laughs> no, that's not. If we want the people to sit humbly under the word, where they're not saying, well, what I think this means is this, but they're saying, yeah, what does, what does, what is God actually saying in this? We, we also need to exemplify being humble, and we don't have all the answers. Um, and that might be one of those things where you say, hey, yeah, let me look into that more. I'll, I'll follow up with you. you know, maybe you, you could dig into that too, um, sort of thing. Okay. Um, we are running out of time. As, we get, as you get to the end of your lesson, um, you get to the end of your lesson, you just kind of want to restate your, uh, your argument, your thesis statement with a conclusion. So you kind of restate the big picture idea uh, you might invite closing, uh, closing comments and questions uh, to help. That that might be really the place where where you kind of figure out if the class has kind of understood, you know, what what's been said, and uh, kind of work through that. Uh, as we're going through all these things, we're going through our preparation. As we're going through actually teaching, the ultimate goal really that we have is that we, we want to guide the congregation to understand God's word. We want them to believe it to be true. We want, to, we want them to trust him more fully. We want them to happily obey him, obey God. And then just as a reminder, all of that 
as much as we want that to be the case, all of that is the whole, the work of the Holy Spirit. We're simply his instruments um, to, uh, to faithfully uh, circle, go for, full circle here to faithfully proclaim his word to accurately um, preach and teach his word. That's our goal. The we're running. It's eleven o'clock, so we're not going to really get into into these observation forms. I'll just hand you guys um, these. Basically, what we started a couple classes ago, um, kind of pick back up, is when you teach. Again, you're all here. Uh, you know, some some are current teachers. Some are maybe want to teach someday. Uh, in some form or fashion, or uh, just here for kind of general, um, just kind of further education, studying the word, that sort of thing. Uh, but we would, we we would that at some point, all all of our men are te- are capable teachers. Uh, but when when in, when you teach, one thing you'll get is a kind of self evaluation form kind of walk through some various things and you just rate yourself and kind of write your own comments um, about how, how you did things like uh, your level of preparation for the class, how well did you base your lesson on scripture, how well did you understand the topic, how well organized was your lesson plan, how well did you explain the topic appropriate to the class demographic. So if we have you like in a... Uh, in a, the, like maybe third through fifth grade class or whatever it might be. And you want, you're going to have to make sure you're teaching it to a, a third and fifth grade class and not an adult class. Um, if you're teaching to the adults, you probably don't want to be teaching it like you're teaching third and fifth graders necessarily. That might offend some people. Don't want to pat them on the head. Um, how well did you facilitate group discussion? Various things like that. That then... We'll have one person assigned to observe and make notes, and they'll kind of do the same thing, just kind of based on what they see. Okay, how well do I think this teacher was prepared? Um, they'll kind of walk through the same thing. There's some added ones like distractions. Are there any speech habits or gestures or, you know, uh, if you're sitting there with your wedding ring and you don't realize that you're doing this, you know, that's one thing where we can say, hey, you, you obviously didn't realize this, but you were, tap, you were tapping the podium the whole time with your wedding ring, and it was kind of a distraction. Oh, really? Uh, my favorite, what I saw recently, if any of you are, are familiar, Ligonier Ministries and Burke Parsons. Burke Parsons is missing a number of fingers on his hand. Um, and I recently saw him, well, Earlier this year, saw him at the national, the national conference, and one of the very first things he said was, as he's on the big jumbo screen, says, "Hey, you may notice I'm missing some fingers," <laughs> and he kind of gave a little story about how that happened. Like, you know, sometimes it's those sort of things that um, like maybe answer a question for someone, uh, like Danny. With Danny says, said, "I think Danny has said something in the past about his hair." About his, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you kind of answer the question, get it out of the way, so it's not a distraction. It's like Burke Parsons. Hey, I don't want you focusing on my fingers, even though I'm doing this on the jumbotron sort of thing. So here's the story about it. Now focus on what I'm saying. Um, my first point, I 
Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. If I list points on this hand, I'm going to be limited. And maybe that's a good. Um, things like time management. Time management is always one of those that I miserably fail at. <laughs> uh, not necessarily miserably. But uh, so I'll, I'll hand those out for you guys to look at. Are there any, as, as we are now at 11.03, any closing comments? The one, one of the questions I wanted to ask throughout this, and I just want, need to get through the material first, is just, as you've heard all of this, what are some things that you've found helpful um, for, whether it's in your study time uh, in, uh, or in teaching, things that you've observed, that you're like, man, that, Josh with Larry. This guy does that really well. Kind of closing comments, questions before we wrap up. You know one thing, um, this is an old-fashioned, I think, uh, Spurgeon to my students. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things in there that he did in his studies, he would always study scripture on his own first before he relied on commentaries. Mm-hmm. But then he would go and read after he did all his study, he would go then go read commentaries and use the night before his sermon or whatever. He also read other stuff. And he said, you know, what he tried to basically was trying to do was stuff himself with so much stuff in there that it inspired other thought within him within what he had already done so it helped him to uh, be able to speak with more authority mm-hmm. and more confidently on the subject that, that he had. He felt that he can't be the final authority on all, you know, because he could do it all his study, but if he did not have that study um, collaborated by looking at other men that It humbled him in a way, you know, so, but it also helped him to be able to uh, communicate better, bring some extra, uh, say, uh, vision and thought into what he was, what he had already learned, or maybe even correct something that he thought that he had in there that, that, oh, I think I may have that wrong, had to go restudy this thing. Yeah. But some people can rely mainly on commentary, but you're pretty much parroting someone else. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to not rely upon them either because they've come before us uh, also. So make sure you kind of do all of that so that you don't become a uh, you're trying to reinvent the scripture. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm noticing I see that a lot in when you watch t- these preachers on TV, things like that. It seems like they're trying to come up this new thing. God has told me something. I don't know if Larry was God has told me Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, they're reinventing scripture. They're trying to, basically, they're trying to make followers toward them. Yeah. He was more interested in making you follow what scripture said, mm-hmm. not what necessarily what my opinion was. I want to know what the scripture actually says and what it's actually teaching. That's what the people want to hear. Yeah. And usually, if it's new, may not be from God. <laughs> <laughs> Because God wanted us to know it, He would have given it to someone way back then. So. Exactly. I uh, 
kind of quickly not really thinking through this very much, but I can appreciate Damien's like passion and love that he brings into whenever he teaches. I think of Jeremy whenever you teach. I I think of um, just like uh, well prepared. You know everything that you just kind of explained, right? The whole where where were we? Where are we going? I find that you do that really well, and that helps set the tone for the day, and it helps make it stick. Um, Sheldon, you and your brother, like just uh, very very humble ways of just like, like, oh, I didn't, I, you know, here's an interesting thing, like. It's like the whole pointing at a squirrel in the tree, helping helping someone else see the squirrel for the first time, right? Like, you just have a, a, a way of doing that, which is uh, really cool. Mm -hmm. that, that last point reminded me of my uh, Place Academy, this is a totally random story, but Place Academy days, there was this that uh, one cadet like one of the first runs we were out, the, the training officers running next to him were out all out on a run. And, uh, I forget his last name now, but, you know, Recruit Smith, did you see that rabbit? Sir, no, sir, keep your eye out. <laughs> and then the rest of the, there's a six month long academy, the rest of the academy, it'd be like, Recruit Smith, you see that rabbit? Sir, yes, sir. <laughs> and then eventually it was, uh, he'd call out the rabbits. <laughs> so it was kind of one of those things that stuck out. Yeah. But it, I don't know. But in, in a sense, that's you know what what we're doing as teachers. We I mentioned just a minute ago. You know, the goal is that someday we're all all the, all we're all able to, able to teach. That we're that we're well equipped. And able to do that, and that start that's that is it's that happens in steps and progress. And at first, we're point, having to point things out, and then we're having to just remind people. And then eventually, they're saying, "Yeah, have you noticed this?" Uh, this you talked about self evaluation. Uh, I often do not remember much of what I said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or wow, I'm not talking loud enough for anyone to hear me. The mic's right in front of me. <laughs> Stuff like that that's useful. Feedback yeah. to myself and listening to the recordings. That's really good because that's that's one of those things. It, it is hard to go back and listen to yourself. It is weird. <laughs> there, there's the first part of it's like, is that my voice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then beyond that, it's like, I don't like hearing myself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as, as I, I've heard it said, humor is a dangerous thing. 
<laughs> tread carefully into that. I think that it's uh, that it's important to keep in perspective if God wants to use you. I guess like uh, Paul said that it's not about because you sound great mm-hmm. or you're charismatic. It's a work of the Spirit, and you got to keep that in mind the whole time. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I, I heard someone recently say. It's sometimes whether it's you know teacher teachers or pastors is you're going on and you're all of a sudden getting in your head thinking oh I don't think I'm making any sense mm. <laughs> so some, sometimes that's the best time just in your head Lord help me the most simple prayer Lord help me because uh, it's that reminder it's not about me it's not about me and if ultimately he's going to be the one to help me communicate clearly. He's going to be the one to help his word land on people's hearts. So it's just those quick and silent prayers. Lord, help me. Okay. Well, let me pray and we can get going. Father, we thank you just thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, these men, their uh, desire, uh, whether it's to, to teach or maybe that desire to teach isn't there yet, uh, at least in front of a class, but just, I think, a desire to know you uh, through your word. Just thank you for that. I pray that you strengthen us as a church, strengthen our, our men in particular to um, be men who can faithfully handle your word who are faithful to point uh, others to Christ through your word. I pray that uh, you would um, grow up in our context a uh, number of faithful men uh, who, um, even if they uh, don't feel particularly gifted to teach, uh, are, are in a place where they can faithfully uh, teach, faithfully proclaim your word. Father, I, I just praise you for your word. I praise you that um, we can come before uh, your very word uh, to know you better, to, to see your beauty, uh, to glorify you, to enjoy you. Uh, help us to, re- to, to remember just even our, in our daily lives the great gift uh, that you've given us uh, in Scripture. Help us to be humble to come before your word with a desire to hear what you you have to say uh, rather than uh, a desire to hear our own voice. Father, I thank you again for this morning and I just pray uh, for our services tomorrow. You strengthen us as a congregation. Uh, just help us to, to be a people who, uh, who love you, uh, who love one another and serve one another Showing, showing the love that, that Christ has shown us uh, to, to each other. We just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.